0: Stay on target. Maximum. Stay on target. Maximum. Rothbard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hello, and welcome to the oh. Actual Anarchist Podcast. The podcast, where we talk about movies from a Rothbard and an narco- capitalist perspective, and tonight is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a spoiler already for our fine audience here. This is episode one seventy nine of the show. We're of course talking about Napoleon Dynamite on the show tonight. And we are to be joined by a man with great skills, both staff skills, computer hacking skills, and entrepreneurship skills. Uh, and I will introduce him in just a moment when we get into the last night's portion of the show. But before we get into that, I want to make sure that we don't forget to put in the crystals and we uh, check in with my, my manservant, Robert, over here, who is working real hard, uh, still operating his restaurant during these quarantine days. How are you doing, Robert? Oh, hey, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a show without you. I mean, you've Been on most of them, ninety nine point forty four percent. I'd say you got a pretty good run going. And uh, same with keeping your business running. Is you said last week that it was kind of rebounding a bit. Are you starting to see even uh, a greater increase in foot traffic or visitations and revenues?
0: Yeah, revenues are almost back up to where they were pre COVID, which is very encouraging. Absolutely. Um, The venue, a lot of venues are still shut down, but where we can get in. The customers are there. We just got to bring the product them, which is really nice. And they really appreciate that we're there. So I think this thing's got legs. We can make it work. All right. That's awesome. Now you said that some of the venues aren't open. So does that mean you're
1: working fewer uh, open days per week? Or have you found alternatives that uh, have allowed you to still maintain the same uh, amount of openness you had prior to the shit
0: situation that's <laughs> befallen everyone here? No, man. I am barely employed. We work currently, we're working two days a week. Which means that I've got five days off, but I mean, it's not necessarily all time off. We, we do need to, um, push the business. Absolutely. We've got to find that other spot. We've got options, um, quite a distance away. There's an opportunity to really, if we can, if we can make it work, there's an opportunity to really do well. Uh, It would involve setting up an entirely separate crew. Well, multiple crews to to run a single location, but it would be, man, if we could get it to work, that is, that would be really, really exciting. All right. How about you? Are you, are you still employed? What's going on? You're still like a caveman guy.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm in my illustrious cave now. I've actually. I don't hear hear any peeping. Yeah. The peeps are gone. The peeps are out in their, in their new coop. And I'm still dealing with the aftermath of the chicken dust on everything. So I spent some time over the weekend and then a little bit earlier before the show, which is why I was late, uh, trying to clean up a, just a touch because there's chicken dust on everything. But they're on the coop and we got another coop and we're going to be repurposing part of the yard and getting them all set up. And I have a question in the um, when we reconvene back in the actual energy portion of the show that I'm yeah. going to pose to you that's going to be about oh. the chickens. And it's not whether they have large talons or not. We'll answer that during the main portion of the show. Which we will get into right after
0: this. Oh, sizzle.
1: Hey, everyone. It's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters, and we can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. You can also check out the show notes and more for this episode, which we're going to be doing on Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, and uh, we're going to bruise our neck meat on this one, maybe rip our moles off. This is episode 122 of the show. Show notes and more slash one twenty two. And uh, we are going to have a special guest. He's got skills, like I was saying, uh, in our pre-show bonus content available for our Patreon supporters at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Uh, You can uh, see this sausage getting made as we do it. You can get pre-show, post-show. Post-show is called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is a little bit more laid back. We get a little bit looser and uh, run our mouths a bit longer. Um, But our guest, he's got entrepreneurship skills. It's Miguel Duque of Amagi Entrepreneurs, and he will help us answer the question of if all the chickens have large talents in this flippin' sweet episode where we don't forget to put in the crystals. Welcome back to the show, Miguel. It's a pleasure to have you back on.
2: Well, hello. Thank you. Great to be here.
1: Yeah. Now, remind me, because I am a terrible, uh, terrible guest, host, whatever I am, um, you were on uh, about six months ago talking about the social network, right? Uh, yes. Okay. And that was a fun discussion. That was the Aaron Sorkin episode. And it's Aaron Sorkin, right? It's the the witty dialogue where it's, like, unrealistically quippy and, like, really good. West Wing guy, yeah. Yeah, West Wing guy, yeah. So you were on for that. Um, Since that time, we've we've seen more and more things happening in the world, obviously, and uh, Facebook and YouTube and other uh, such social media platforms kind of taking um, editorial liberties with what is and what is not uh, permitted on there platforms. And it feels as if um, we are getting closer and closer to that edge of not being publishable. Uh, and just any any ideas out there uh, that challenge the status quo and the narrative that's being told in the MSM and government sphere uh, isn't going to be permitted all that much longer. Uh, we saw YouTube CEO came out, and here I am, I'm on YouTube talking about him, um, saying that if you disagree with the who, that's against our policy guidelines, and you're going to get your account banned or whatever. So that's just really interesting stuff, and, and I thought that kind of related to your or your recent appearance with us on uh, the social network. Um, so anyway, welcome back to the show. People can find you uh, on our show notes page, of course, lastnighters.com, slash 122. twenty will find the previous appearance. And then uh, tell us what brought Napoleon up. I know you mentioned it in the pre-show, but tell our audience why this movie was picked out, and then we'll get into the Google description and kick this off.
2: Well, um, yeah, that last the last episode on social network was fun. It uh, was one that I proposed since I'm in business. I'm a business coach. Kind of thought, well, what are some cool movies about entrepreneurship? And that one came to mind. In addition to the really great discussion on all kinds of libertarian related stuff, like you just said, censorship, and you know, you name it. And this one, um, nothing to do, frankly nothing to do with entrepreneurship or, or really anything that that I do necessarily. It's just kind of a movie that. Um, you know, been one of my favorite movies for a while. And um, I was just spitballing with you, Daniel, on different movies that I thought would be fun to chat about. And this was one that came up. I don't know. I was just random. It was just one that stuck, I think. So really no motivation other than to probably have an opportunity for you, to, especially to just rattle off all kinds of different Napoleon Dynamite quotes and for us to um, have a fun time thinking about how it pertains to libertarian theory to uh, the ethics of self-ownership and uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what we, what we get out of it.
1: All right. Well said. And, and I'll just add that this is our Cinco de Mayo episode because there's a tangential relationship to uh, Mexico with one of the characters, Pedro being from Juarez and also the filmmakers, their second film was Nacho Libre, which we did a couple of years ago for Easter. I want to say, because uh, uh, the, the, uh, one of the guys had, diarrhea since Easter's. So that was a very loose connection with Easter that I had for that. Or, or did we do Cinco de Mayo? Crazy. Crazy.
0: I think it was a Cinco de Mayo episode. But yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: It's Cinco de Mayo plus, um, I mean, there's also the fact that we're now in an election year that's in full swing and we've got some electoral politics in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. A little
0: bit. Yeah. Probably there probably was a, more poly- than real life here. Okay. I'm going to talk now. All right. So I don't know if you guys heard the recent uh, Tom Woods episode on the homeschooling is wrong and needs to be banned by the, um, what was it? The Arizona lady, I forget. Harvard? Was she in Harvard? Harvard. I think so, yeah. Okay. But anyway, she talks about why, you know, homeschooling is bad because they don't get to take part in student government. And so there's a link right there for our, the one student government and all the fantastic things that student government.
1: Well, I just have one more thing to add. Uh, related to Tom Woods, the episode after that was about um, libertarian response to uh, the lockdowns and protests with, um, I think her name's Angela McArdle. And at the end of that, uh, Tom promotes a website from a listener who um, reviews movies. And Tom says, it sure is nice that there's a movie review thing out here that isn't from a libertarian angle that's like ramming it down your throat. So uh, you might be throwing some shade at us. I don't know. Or maybe we're just that irrelevant, he, he doesn't even <laughs> think about us at all. But uh, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, it was brought up to me today. And I was like, oh, hey, thanks, thanks for the, uh, the subtle neg. But <laughs> that'll just inspire us to do better, I think. So anyway, speaking of doing better, let's get into this uh, Google description, shall we? So Napoleon Dynamite came out in uh, 2004. It's a comedy slash indie film, one hour, 36 minutes, 6.9 on the IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes and 4.4 out of 5 on Vudu, and 90% of Google users liked it. The description is, In a small town, Preston, Idaho, awkward teen Napoleon Dynamite, played by John Heater, has trouble fitting in. After his grandmother's injured in an accident, his life is made even worse when his strangely nostalgic uncle, Rico, John Greaves, shows up to keep an eye on him. With no safe haven at home or at school, Napoleon befriends the new kid, Pedro, played by Efren Ramirez, a morose Hispanic boy who speaks little English. Together, the two launch a campaign to run for class president, it says release date, June 11, 2004. Director is Jared Hess, and his wife uh, was a co-writer. Budget of $400,000 uh, against a box office of $46.1 million. And uh, gosh, Robert, uh, what's your
0: take on the ego description here? Well, you know how I feel about comedies. And they seem to be these vehicles, especially when we did um, your Adam Sandler movie, where all we did was talk about our favorite quotes from the film, because the movie itself was so atrocious. This movie, I don't know what sort of alchemy the writers and the director and the cast came up with to produce a film that is almost entirely made of quotes that are meant to be repeated forever and ever. And they don't get old for me. Maybe it's because the quality of the film is so good or just the idiosyncrasy of the film is so unique. But the film has a very interesting voice. And it's not like other comedies. It's characters that are funny without trying to be funny. And character-based humor, and that's always that's always the best. It's always the longest lasting because you could take this movie and show it to an audience in 50 years, and it's not like they're talking about, you know, Trump being an orange man bad or anything like that. It's character-based humor. It's all in this world. You believe this world when you watch the film. And, uh, yeah, that's why it's, it's, it's so good. And it's gonna, it's gonna last it. it, I still, I watched it, you know, recently in the past day or two, and it was as charming. I don't know if it's still as funny because it's not as funny as the first time you watch it, but it's as charming as ever. It doesn't lose that je ne sais quoi over time. (sighs) Yeah. And you can quote every single thing in the movie, Daniel. I know. All right.
1: Well, thank you for bringing my chapstick, Robert. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is kind of interesting because, When I was watching Kick-Ass, the movie that we did last week, I was thinking about how that was on the back end of this raunch-com kind of um, wave of filmmaking, and that maybe it was a little bit too late, and so it didn't really work for me. This one, which was just a few years prior to it, it's that irreverent style still, but for something about it just makes it actually work for me, where Kick-Ass, it fell flat. So there's a kind of a big contrast for me between the two movies, because I would think that they're trying to go for the same kind of audience. And one hit me square in the fields. And the other one was kind of a miss for me, as, as you recall from my giving it a 3.5 last week on Kick-Ass.
0: Yeah. Well, this, this is a movie that feels very honest to itself. It it doesn't try and... I don't think it's trying to impress or gross out or push any boundaries. I think it's just trying to present to you this weird little world with these weird little characters. And if you like it, great. If you don't, then it's not your cup of tea. But for me, and a lot of people I know, I don't think I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Napoleon Dynamite. And in fact, I mentioned we were doing this episode at work the other day and everybody was like, oh man, and they just started quoting it. <laughs> I think everybody's just got all kinds of great vibes and feels about this movie. Yeah, it's still, got- still and one my my coworker wanted to get t-shirts, you know, and still wear those like sixteen years later. Still cool to wear.
1: All right. Yeah. It's got that nostalgia and it's, uh, it's working really well. So Miguel, let's go to you for your take on the description and and anything else that's come up based on our nonsense we've talked about so far.
2: I mean, the description, it's funny to hear a synopsis or a description of the plot line of this movie. It comes across as almost matter of fact, when the movie itself, you watch the movie and you you're not given a sense of a unifying plot line necessarily when the, the uh, Pedro running for class president, that doesn't even come up until at least halfway into the film. And even then, I mean, there's other things going on. Um, There's, there's uncle Rico and Kip with all these get rich quick schemes. There's uh, Napoleon dynamite and his love triangle thing with, with um, what's her name? Uh, Why am I blanking on her name? Whole milk girl. It's not Tina. Tina. Tina of course no no not Tina (laughs) so there's uh just to read a description of this film like you know you you'd probably read a description of the film and have a particular if you never saw it before you'd read the synopsis and say oh okay this film's about maybe it's like a coming of age tale or you know kid kid in school and he's helping his friend when the but then you watch it and you're like it's just it almost it it has like this um like this waiting for Godot type of uh, vibe where you're like, what is this about? I mean, you know, it draws so many questions. We could probably spend years drawing conclusions about existentialism and all kinds of abstract concepts from this film. You know, I promised when, when I was chatting with you, Daniel, more mostly facetiously, I was, I was promising that I would come prepared with very well thought out uh, analysis on Rothbardian voluntarist philosophy on things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just not, that, that's just not the case.
1: Um, wait, 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 wait. So you're, you're not going to fulfill your campaign promise. My, all my dreams are not going to come true. Uh, I'm sure that we I'm could. I'm,
2: I'm sure that we will, we'll get into all kinds of ridiculous commentary. Yet the fact, you know, the fact is that this is, I don't know whether this film like means anything, if that makes any sense. Yeah, a I lot don't of think films, it does either. A lot of films have like, a, there, a lot of films, there's a, there's a moral to the story. I don't know that, I don't know that Napoleon Dynamite has that. It's not trying to be that.
0: All right. I'm going to blow okay. your guys' minds. I've oh, Daniel's got, got got the inside. Okay. I've got a whole There's theory. theory Daniel. Daniel. I got an all encompassing
1: theory of everything related to Napoleon Dynamite. But before we get into that, I. I <laughs> nice no, teasing. I, I just yeah, want to mention it. that you mentioned uh, like the Adam Sandler movies, and it was just like a bunch of guys getting together with their friends and making a movie. That's literally kind of what happened with this. And this was uh, Jared Hess dropped out of uh, BYU to start making this film. This is uh, a film that's based on a short film that he did while still in school. He knew John heater. He was a friend of his. Uh, He, he, John got paid a thousand dollars to star in this movie. Uh, And then he went back and renegotiated to get like a portion of the profits, which is you know probably good, but you know, he did agree for a thousand. So, but um, I see a film about the infantilization of the American male. I see Kip, who's a 32 year old living in his grandma's house, man baby, who's using up all of her dial up internets, paying by the minute, charging up grandma's you know, phone bill to chat up hot babes in Detroit. I see uh, a socially awkward Napoleon, who in his quest to impress and try to fit in as best as possible, he lies so extravagantly to seem cooler than he is but he's also very emotional, emotionally responding to people. He He's very quick to be like, gosh, or flip, or, you know, fucking idiot, or freaking idiot, you know, things like that. Like, he doesn't have uh, a maturity about him. So I kind of have this idea that <clears throat> what we're presented with is the 90s to mid-2000s American male during his coming of age. And that is the arc of the story, is that you've got... All of the main characters, and we had a discussion of who were main characters and who were minor characters in the pre-show, available for Patreon supporters. uh, Where Robert has claimed that Uncle Rico, Kip, and Napoleon are the main characters, and then Pedro and Tina, or whoever side ponytail, why can't we remember her name? Um, (laughs) One percent are are lesser um, characters or or background characters, but they all have an arc, and they all come at it from this sort of infantile. way of, of living in which they're far less mature than they should be given their age as presented in the movie. Uncle Rico wants to go back. He even buys a time machine to attempt to do this so he can go back and change events of him being a star athlete and being put into um, into the game to win state and then get uh, into the NFL and be chilling in a hot tub with his soulmate. But that's his that's his motivation in this is to win back a soulmate to to try to make up for lost time. Kip is just trying to also find a soulmate, but he doesn't do anything. Like all he does is chat with babes. He doesn't have any source of income. And then when Uncle Rico comes up with an idea for them to go out and make money by selling a product to people, he's very quick to give up and not put in the work. So it's like they want these things, but they just want them without being willing to put in the effort. And so am, am I starting to form... Just the outline of maybe an existential crisis that each of these characters is dealing with. And maybe there is some meaning behind uh, what we see in this film. And it's not just ridiculous characters with funny lines that are all just seemingly stringed together into a 90 minute film.
0: Well, in order to finalize your thesis, Daniel, don't you need to provide some kind of evidence for there being growth in those areas? I don't Certainly. think that there's is there is there growth that's had. Yeah. I mean, I I see your point in that Napoleon comes from a broken home. He's living with his grandmother, and he has no positive male role model. Who knows what happens to his father or Kip's father, or even dad, a mother, or even their mother. Who knows what happened to them? So yeah, he's doing doesn't have that that example to live from. But to go with your thesis, what what is the completion of that arc? Do they grow at the end? Yeah, they do, all do. do they they all grow. Have- on some, from man babies into men? To a degree,
1: to a degree. Napoleon finds himself and gets acceptance for being the eccentric that he is when he performs the dance for the school and gets the standing ovation. Uncle Rico, his his girlfriend comes back to him. Not sure why, but (laughs) that's what he's searching for the whole time.
0: Yes, the Uh, most unrealistic scene in the movie, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Kip
1: (laughs) finds love with La Fonda and he finds an identity, she helps him with his gangster chic uh new uh identity which you know he didn't really have one before so he does find at least some kind of uh something to, to
2: hold on to he does you're left, change you are left to wonder if he ever gets a job like what does he do <laughs> maybe he just uh maybe he becomes internet famous i don't know maybe he becomes a rapper it's possible and maybe he's eminem i don't know it's possible but uh Also, just speaking of
1: the um, quirkiness of the film, you know, in uh, Napoleon Dynamite and in Nacho Libre, they have the food credits opening scene. And that was started because the Kip character uh, came up with this this idea of how to represent the different characters in food in the credits. Because when they first uh, created the film and and screened it for a few people, we were just kind of dumped into um, the the high school or, or whatever the opening scene is. And people were like, well, We have no idea what the frame of reference is. When is this? Why is this? What's going on? And so they have that opening scene with Napoleon's um, ID, his high school ID, saying what the year is and kind of introducing the characters. And then everything that their um, their names are written in is something that that character eats back uh, later in the film. And oh, by the way, my wife and I, um, we have Tater Tot Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. This this show is going to come out on uh, Sunday or Monday but uh, I was supposed to have tater tots today, not only because it's tater tot Tuesday, but because we're doing Napoleon dynamite and wife fail, no tater tots. So uh, sometime before then I'm calling you out wife. Uh, don't you forget ever again, but uh, we're going to have tater tots sometime later this week. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. That was uh, Aaron rules idea. And um, one last thing on that. Apparently the, the Fox searchlight um, bought the rights to the film for distribution. And one of their, uh, business execs didn't like the hands that were doing it. It's John heater's hands. And he had like a hangnail or something. So she had a hand model, George Costanza hand <laughs> model, come in, fly in and reshoot some of the scenes. And then, uh, another guy, uh, on the crew also did a few other scenes. So what we see in final film is, uh, a, a kind of a amalgamation of three different people doing it, uh, to create the opening scene. Anyway, I think it's really creative and it looks really cool. And they did the same thing for natural Libre. Anyway, I'll, I'm going to let you, uh, let you talk now. I've been just running my mouth for a while. Um, Miguel, let's get your take. Robert already gave me a little bit of feedback on uh, my uh, overall nascent thesis here. But what's, what's your take on, on on all that?
2: Well, no, I don't blame you for just ranting there because I, too, read the Wikipedia page and I, I found all those int- interesting points of trivia um, to your theory. I, I do see something there. And that's one of the maybe that's one of the cool things about the film is it doesn't beat you over the head with this sort of, you know, lesson or typical, typical story, having, um, uh, a lesson that comes with it. I mean, those things that you pointed out are so subtle, um, that to argue that they exist, you could very easily be refuted. Cause I don't know, looking at the end of the film, I don't looking at the end of the movie. Yeah. I don't know what Napoleon's real character growth is like, yeah, he makes amends with Deb is her name, by the way. Good man. De- he makes amends with Deb. However, he didn't ever really do anything wrong. Um, It wasn't his fault that he and Deb had a falling out. It was was that Uncle Rico lied to her and Napoleon had no freaking clue why Deb was mad at him. Um, Yet at the end, he very much, uh, he maybe forgives her and or she forgives him. And they they play tetherball and he wins. And uh, I don't know what else. Though there is maybe, if anything, the character development is that he makes that "quote-unquote" ultimate sacrifice for Pedro when they had no they had no clue that they were going to have to do a skit. And coincidentally, just or by fate rather, Napoleon had been practicing that uh, cute. What's what's the what's the dance guy's name? Something called? Uh,
1: D- DJ Quan,
2: I think. Yeah, and makes the ultimate sacrifice and goes out there impromptu and does his elaborate dance. So maybe that's some character development. I mean, I guess if you look at what some of that character development is, was that earlier in the film, again, it's very, very subtle. Um, because so much is going on that you don't even notice that there's really a plot line. There's just these random things happening. You, that, yet earlier in the film, he and Kip go to Rex Kwon the dojo, and Rex, at the very end of that scene, says something to the effect of, you know, last thing never fly solo always got to have somebody watching your back and it appears that if you look into it Napoleon hears that and he actually takes it to heart where he's never before seemingly has never made an effort to make friends and maybe maybe Rex maybe he took that lesson from Rex and said okay maybe I maybe I got to maybe I got to find a friend so that I'm not flying solo. And sure enough, the next day he's at school and he sees this new kid in the hallway and goes up and talks to him and shows him the ropes and shows him around school. And sure enough, they're fast friends. They're, he's Pedro becomes Napoleon's sidekick, so he's not flying solo anymore. And he realizes that he's got he's to gotta look out for his buddy. And then sure enough, at the end, he really comes through for his friends. So maybe that's, uh, to quote another movie, it's one thing he learns is not to be a one man wolf pack anymore that he wants oh, yeah. to bring others into his wolf pack. You know, he brings Pedro into his wolf pack. He brings Deb into his wolf pack. I think, um, even if there's not like a, a true romantic relationship there, even if it's just platonic, I think that Napoleon comes to see Deb as one of his wolf pack members and maybe he has a thing for her too. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and, and that's blades of glory that you're talking about, which is another John heater movie. I think, He's been in bench warmers after this and then uh, Blades of Glory. And then I don't know what else. I think he kind of fell off uh, my radar.
2: I was really thinking of, of The Hangover.
1: Oh, okay. Well, in Blades of Glory, uh, Will Ferrell has a, a, a lone wolf on his shoulder. And he gets a picture of John Heater tattooed next to the wolf. Because he says the lone wolf is no longer alone or something like that. It's, it's hilarious. Wow. He says, welcome go. to the
2: crowd. Conspiracy theory is really coming together.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. And then uh, speaking of Rex... They go to Rex because Kip wants to become more like a man. He wants to mature. And he goes there and uh, he spars with Rex and does this weak sweep kick and gets tapped in the head. And then, uh, you know, he does the, break to the wrist and walk away. Um, and he finds that it's difficult and that it's going to cost like $300. So that's another thing where he wants something and he goes and investigates it just a little bit, dips his toe in the water. And he's like, oh, too rich for my blood or too much effort, too much work, not willing to put in the work. So that's another uh, thing uh, that, Quip, that Kip does uh, later on when he's selling the Tupperware. So he's kind of got that toe in the water, not really new, willing to commit or put in the work to actually get the results that he claims that he wants. So I think that just supports my, uh, my idea a little bit more. Uh, so let's go to you,
0: Robert. What, what's uh,
1: well, what Miguel was
0: saying? Well, you definitely have evidence that Kip is a man baby and Uncle Rico hasn't grown up and is living in the past, but I still don't see Napoleon. I mean, he's still a young man. He's still in high school and I see him getting friends, which he didn't have in the past, but we don't really see him failing for lack of friends. So I don't really know if that's the growth. I'm really struggling to see what he, his failures were early in the movie were that, you know, then he has this arc. He needs to fail in the beginning in order to have an arc at the end.
1: Well, I'll give it to you. He, he's so Trying to impress people that he comes up with these crazy lies about hunting Wolverines and shooting them with a 12 gauge and he he thinks that he needs to have these skills and to impress people to get people to like him and so he goes over the top in doing that and he fails at it people are bullying him they're mean to him they smash his tots they shove him into his locker Uh, he gets assaulted multiple times in this movie and he's derided as this you know totally awkward nerd and he doesn't find any acceptance until he completes his arc at the end, where he lets go and dances uh, for his friend to save his friend in that sacrifice that Miguel was talking about. And he finds acceptance from all of those people for being himself. Now, one last thing about the dancing. Uh, You might be a little bit too old for this, Robert, but there was a guy who was a few years younger than me in high school. And so he might not have been in high school at the same time as you, but he, well, you you actually probably do know who he is, because I think your dad knew him. He would go to the dances and he would dance like a wild man, like like Napoleon in this movie. But during the day, he was like this socially awkward kind of dorky guy that no one really talked to all that much. And then at the dances, he was this flamboyant, very uh, emotive dancer. And it really stood out. Um, I don't want to drop his name, but um, you might know who I'm talking about. Uh, But Can he was at
0: the- least his name in the chat, please.
1: All right. In the private chat.
0: Private I'm gonna, chat.
1: I'm going to. Give this to Robert here. I yes, uh, Give him some of the vid here. All right. Hopefully no one else can see that. Except uh, I yeah, I think I've heard that name, but I, I couldn't put a face to that for sure. Okay. Well, he was, he was kind of like Napoleon. And in any way, that's my point is that Napoleon was so hard up for finding acceptance in his school that he would lie like crazy in order to try to get acceptance. And he would fail every time until the end when he was just being himself. And for whatever reason, like Miguel, you were saying, He just randomly bought this tape to learn how to dance, but that's something he did for himself or for the movie. Um, (laughs) But he ended up doing the dance because he wanted to dance and because Pedro needed a skit and the people loved it. So people accepted Napoleon for who he was. And that was what his goal was throughout the movie.
0: I guess you could see his early lies as wanting acceptance. I, 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 I can, I can be on board with that a little bit. I, I took it mostly as just him being strange and weird, but I guess looking at it from this perspective, I can see your point. What do you got, Miguel?
2: I was just going to say, I'm thinking back also to the uh, first scene of the movie. So Napoleon's outside of his house. The school bus starts to roll up. You see him just sigh with like this deep angst. Of course, you know, a vehicle is coming to take him to his child day prison of public school, and he gets on the he gets on the school bus. He goes to the back of the bus, where that's where the real outcasts go, right? He really goes to cool the, back
0: of the bus? And yeah, in my day, it was the cool kids who sat in the back. By the way,
2: in this case, we can surmise that that's not the case in in this school. If Napoleon and that one other rando kid in the or in the back of the bus, th- those are not the cool kids. Okay, Napoleon goes straight to the back of the bus. And probably one of the few people in the world that even gives him the time of day, innocently and friendly, you know, with with a friendly tone, asks him, you know, what are you going to do to Napoleon? And he freaking snaps at the kid, whatever I feel like I want to do, gosh. Like, and that was, if anything, that was him declaring his self-ownership, you know, to tie it back to Rothbardian or voluntarist ethics. (laughs) Um, Yet he like snaps at this kid randomly and then he busts out a little action figure And in this weird sadistic kind of act, he ties a string to it and throws it out the window. And he's, you know, apparently gets some pleasure out of inflicting damage to this figurine. You know, I Um, think, I think he was trying to get battle damage on it for his, uh, for playing with it. I, that was not my interpretation. My interpretation was that Napoleon is full of angst. He, he is very, he's, he lives in this very oppressive world um, no friends, and he's got to take his anger out on this little action figure. And uh-huh. basically what would be, if it were a real person, it would be a gruesome act of torture that people used to do to each other, like tie somebody up to a horse and then have them run and drag them across the across the road. Um, So you can look at earlier in the film and he, he hangs around this young man. And I think that's the same person who he asked for his tots, right? Is that kid who was in the back of the bus with him. Though I don't know that you could, you could. I don't know that Napoleon sees that that kid as his friend. He's just I don't, like. I don't, I don't remember a
0: kid asking Napoleon for his tots except for the the, the asshole boyfriend guy.
2: Yeah, who like shoved oh, the tots,
0: uh, smashed them in his...
2: Napoleon asked asked the kid for his tots. I thought he asked Pedro.
1: I I missed that one. Oh, you're right. It was Pedro. It Either was. way, I don't want to detract from your point, though. Is that <laughs> still a good point? <laughs> Napoleon's got a sadistic streak. I also think Kip does as well, and I noticed that when. Napoleon was using uncle Rico's um, time machine from Florida and, and he forgot to put in the crystals and then he put it in and he gets shocked. He's like N-z-z! Kip in seeing this gets this like weird sadistic smile. Like he's enjoying seeing his brother in pain. And m- this is kind of fucked up. But my, my daughter did that the other day where one of them got hurt and the other one like smiled about it and was like happy about it. I'm like, Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> so. Yeah,
2: yeah that's true obviously kip knew full well fully well that the thing was a ripoff didn't work and that he just saw rico do the same thing to himself and he was completely knowingly letting napoleon get into the same situation because he was gonna oh,
1: i didn't think that was i i viewed it as kip thought that it really did work and then uh and then it's revealed right after the end of that scene that uncle rico had already done it because he's like hunched over but yes what you're saying makes sense that. Kip was probably there for Uncle Rico's attempt. So he knew he, was, he he knew that Napoleon would fall into this trap of, oh, of course it works. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to touch it. You know, like that forbidden fruit thing where you tell them they can't have it and then that makes them want it more. So that made Napoleon want to actually do it. All right. Yeah, see, my, my daughter lays traps too. She's like, she'll do things to make the other one uh, incidentally make contact or whatever. And then she'll use that as an excuse to retaliate. It's, uh, it's totally calculated, and uh, it's brilliant, but uh, also pretty pretty evil. <laughs> so, All right. Well, Miguel brings
0: up the second most libertarian scene in the film, where Napoleon declares that he's going to do whatever he wants to do, thereby establishing his self-ownership. But let's talk about the number one most libertarian scene in the film, whereupon Napoleon, upset with his uncle Rico for ruining his life, demands that he leave his property,
2: Yes, and Uncle
0: Rico says, "Make me, Napoleon. I'm here at request of your grandmother." I'm not doing this verbatim. I don't know the exact lines. Well, you, he says, he,
2: "He says, he says, get the heck off my property." And Uncle Rico's response is, "It's a free country." That's right. Not anymore. Right? Not but Napoleon anymore. says very explicitly, "Get off my property," right? Which is false. I mean,
0: he's probably homesteaded it more than. Uncle Rico has, but it's actually his grandmother's house, right?
2: Yes, and I think it could be argued that Napoleon has essentially like tenants rights. He's 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 effectively like a tenant of his property and because, yeah. because it's his residence he's in possession of the property mm. whereas Uncle Rico is not. Uncle Rico is a visitor. True, but he was a guest, an invited guest, right? He was an invited guest. However, really, it's Napoleon's permanent residence and Uncle Rico, having been invited to the home by the grandmother. As the adult. As the adult. Doesn't, doesn't give him. To doesn't care for him, Napoleon, the I mean, minor. Uncle Rico, just a blank check to do whatever he wants in this property. Correct. He's but can there. a minor kick an adult, an invited
0: adult, off of the grandmother's property, essentially? I mean, if we want to go making there, a
2: claim. He's making a private property claim. I appreciate that. There, I would say 100%. Really? I, I would say, under certain circumstances, in this case, this minor is. He's definitely hes definitely making the claim that he has the right to kick off Uncle
0: Rico. He's he, not like a seven year old saying, Get out of here. I don't want you around here.
2: What, uh, another thing he said was, You're just hanging around eating all of our steak and ruining my life, <laughs> ruining <laughs> everybody's, everybody's lives. <laughs> Gosh. So I'm out of here. That, those, that is potentially valid grounds for napoleon to to make an argument for ejecting uncle rico from the property. okay
0: so let's say let's say that scene gets carried out to its completion and napoleon calls the police i want to get a vote between the three of us here as to what happens in that scene does do the police escort uncle rico off or do they go no napoleon you're a kid and he's been invited here and you just need to settle that daniel what do you think first they shoot uncle rico's dog (laughs) (laughs) and then they shoot tina because she's a fat lard. Yeah. And then
1: they tase Uncle Rico and haul him away for not wearing a mask <laughs> and maintaining <they tamed laughs> social
2: distancing. What the, cops, what the cops, let's say that theoretical scenario plays out and the cops come, what the cops do is a separate question from who has a claim on the property and so on and so forth. The cops, yeah, we could say that they'd, they'd most likely side with Uncle Rico, though I would say that, that that's, not, that's not guaranteed to be the right answer, in my opinion. I mean, I think, I think Napoleon has a fair claim.
1: Yeah, well, maybe they defer to uh, Kip, who is the other adult in the house and has more of a claim to residence and a maturity, or at least a maturity recognized in legal sense of being a 32-year-old uh, knee-high sock wearing uh, computer nerd.
0: Or they try and contact the grandmother, most likely. The broker <laughs> Well, we know Kip would side with Uncle Rico because Uncle Rico is helping him score cash and whatnot. Don't be I- jealous. He's been
1: talking <laughs> to hot babes all day.
0: It's fair
2: kidding. to say that Uncle Rico is the type who sees this as an opportunity to definitely to take advantage of of unlimited stake. Like he's showing up not just to look after Napoleon and Kip out of the goodness of his heart. You know, he sees it as an opportunity to, you know, well to 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 wrangle Kip into this get rich quick scheme of his. Well, yeah, we, we
0: definitely, we definitely see you're correct about that because later on in the movie, when he's kicked out, he's living in a van in he, a field. Here's how, yeah, exactly. He's got like
2: a like a clothesline. He's got nothing. Here's how little. Here's how little. Like like when the government takes your tax money and then they completely blow it on useless crap and waste. Like a time machine from Florida. That, <laughs> that is exactly how Rico. What his attitude is towards the stake. He literally takes the stake off of Kip's plate and throws it at at Napoleon's face. So, so there you have it. I mean, he definitely, um, he's taken taken advantage of the stake situation and he is very much, he's very much ruining people's lives through what amounts to in some ways, fraud, uh, libel. You could, there, you could go, we could go into that where he is going around telling lies. I mean, he's selling snake oil and for that matter, he's, he's ruining the reputation of Napoleon by telling people that he wets the bed and that he thought it would be a good idea for Deb to take these breast enhancement supplements. So he's like going around, um, in a way, I don't know if it'd be libel or slander per se, though. It's definitely, he's lying. I mean, he's violating, I would say that he's that amount, maybe he, that amounts to some type of NAP violation. Yeah. And you're lying about the guy.
1: Napoleon's also going around lying all the time. Granted, it's not about other people per se. It's about his own skills and exploits to try to impress. Indeed. I feel like Uncle Rico was just trying to find an angle in talking with people uh, to present what he's offering, what he's selling. So they're almost like white lies
0: in a way. But they really boomerang back and affect Napoleon's life.
1: Yeah, but but imagine you're Uncle Rico. You're not like
0: intending to ruin uh, oh yeah, I don't think I don't think Rico's malicious and like hates Napoleon and wants to ruin his life. I don't think he's out to do that. It's just a consequence of his selling technique,
1: right? And
0: and the steak thing. Um, Lyle
1: came came by to get more steak and that actually happened. Uh, I think you saw that too in the notes, Miguel, where that was a scene from Jared's childhood that the school bus goes by as a cow gets oh, shot. That I didn't see. Yeah, so that that's a fun scene because you see the bus coming up as the guys like getting the. Gun ready. And then bus goes by, shot rings out, kids scream. It's a nice transition. The, this film is shot very well. I don't know if you guys noticed that all of the um, framing is really good. Uh, even in the bowling alley, you know how they have the alternating pattern colored seats? Just the angle that they were shooting that from the row that Uncle Rico was in and the row behind him lined up in such a way to make it perfectly make a square of the alternating pattern. And I noticed this uh, throughout the film. Whenever they were Showing like a static shot, they were framing it in such a way to have some visual uh, interest, uh, something quirky going on in the background. It something
2: quirky
0: in this film. <laughs>
2: it one hundred percent goes to show what you can achieve on a shoestring budget, just with the fundamentals of good, good film, so it was good photography, good editing. Just the way it's edited, so that the timing is right. You know, the timing is right of the little silent, quirky moments you know, the timing can just ruin that if it's not edited properly. So there's these these good little awkward pauses. There's uh, just definitely good, good casting, good there's other really great elements of the film. Um, so yeah, I think it's the success of the film speaks for itself in that sense of how how successful it's been, how it was made on a shoestring budget. You pointed out how, uh, how John Heater was originally only paid $1,000. That part just baffles me. Um, that they had, they had, I mean, you know, John Heater, I mean, he's the, he's the star and he was paid a thousand dollars. I wonder what, I think her name is Haley Duff, right? Who played Summer. I wonder yeah. what she paid. She's got to be nominally, or at least at the time, I would think at least by association to Hillary Duff would have been nominally more famous. And same with uh, Diedrich Bader. I wonder what he, he, some of these actors or actresses must've gotten paid more than John Heater himself. Yeah. Well, Diedrich
1: Bader, Um, I think he did all of his
2: shooting in one day. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: So did he work for scale or something like just come out for one day? And I'm yeah, sure that makes sense. He's one of those guys that just
1: adds it, just a, a hint of flair. Just, you know, speaking of office space, he was made a very memorable turn in that, um, <laughs> turn it to channel nine. <laughs>
2: yeah. breast exam chicks back on. He's <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So I, I love Diedrich Bader and Robert, you had the question earlier, who's your favorite minor character for me? It's Rex who has the wisdom of a man as he's Thank choking you. out a woman in the commercial. <laughs>
2: Yeah, thank you. It's, he's the best side character. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. What's that line again? The wisdom of a man and what? Uh, the strength of a puma or the strength reflexes of a, of a puma, something like that. Yes. But, oh, yeah. yeah. The, the reflexes of a puma and the wisdom of a man. <laughs> <laughs> you think anyone wants a kick in the face where I'm wearing these bad boys? <laughs> very, very.
0: I don't
1: right? think so. Very.
0: And then he gets his arm broken. He breaks Rico's arm. So, you know, it's a good, yeah. feel good
1: story. I'm a failure because I go home to Starla at night. <laughs> See, I, can just, I just quote this thing all day. I know you can. But uh, I, I hate to say it, but we are almost an hour in to our episode here. So are there any final notes or points that you want to make? We'll go to you, Miguel, and then we'll go to Robert.
2: Well, sheesh. I mean, there's so much we didn't get into. Uh, we didn't even get into the electoral politics. I or think. the chickens or the dollar an hour. There's that there there's interesting, there's interesting points from there though. Um, that was another, in, that was another thing that I thought might come up was the, the whole, uh, election side of things. I would think, I think it would, it'd be safe to say summer is the establishment candidate. Uh, maybe some, some similarities could be drawn to Hillary Clinton. Um, she's definitely the, the presumed front runner. And I would, it's very safe to say that, uh, uh, that Pedro is the underdog. I don't know. That he, he's I don't an know that he, what's that? The underdog outsider. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that it would be, I don't know that you could say that he is a libertarian candidate or like a Ron Paul style candidate, though. He's definitely, he's the unlikely candidate. Well, he's the un, typically a politician has charisma and
0: he's a blank. He's a wooden block. I mean, at least, You know, Summer can make a speech that at least elicits some response. Pedro just stands up there and monotones into a microphone
2: for twenty seconds and then walks off. It's it's, he's not a candidate. There's a movement behind Pedro. That's what it's really all about. He's the people's right. He is the people's candidate. But I think it's actually, if you look at it, it's kind of a revolt of the uncool kids against the cool kid who was supposed to win. Like Summer, Summer was the one who was supposed to win. She was. The popular girl, and the, politics uh, is a popularity contest. The so she should have won absolutely. So she, by all means, was supposed to win. Yet all of the outcasts, the weirdos, the uncool kids rallied behind Pedro. Thanks to thanks to uh, really to Napoleon putting himself out there like that.
1: I mean, and Pedro's cousins, Pedro's cousins uh, offering protection from the bullies. Oh, yeah. They want him a few votes for sure.
0: Although, <laughs> what was the, a, the 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 pinata? Did that really even look like her at all? I mean, what is this—some sort of uh, religious non-effigy thing or like abuse? I—I I, I didn't really.
1: Well, it was, it was intended to be her. Was yeah. it?
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: It was, a, so, it was a political event, and so they're beating up a piñata of the can, of the opposing candidate. I mean, it didn't pinata. look very much yeah, like. He said,
2: after he met with the principal, the prince, he, he was like, "Well, they said you're not supposed to make piñatas They look like people, but in 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 Mexico, we do it all the time." you know so yeah it was it was supposed to be summer i don't think that it was really intended to like incite violence against summer it i don't think it was a little less it was a little more harmless than that in nature yeah i um, think it's
0: just hey we're going to beat this lady in the election rally support sort of thing yeah I, I i'm not trying to defend it it's kind of a strange i i stay out of politics entirely i think it's all disgusting so whatever your mom goes to college i can't tell you how many times we used that insult After this movie came out, I've probably used it fifty times.
1: You know, the thing about
0: that—that
1: in the movie—is that it makes no sense for him to
0: say that at that point. That's why it's (laughs) awesome, and so so it stands out so much. Yes, that's the one time I broke out laughing when I was watching this movie yesterday. Is when he said that line. That was just, even though I knew it was coming, and I've heard it before many, many times, and said
2: it before many, many times. It still hit me really hard. It It really came out of nowhere. We're not even shown at the time. Up until that point, we're not even shown that Kip is listening to this conversation or that he's in any position to chime in on anything, <laughs> and yet he interjects with that. And it's it, and then it switches to him, and you see his smug little, smug little face, like he's so happy with himself. <laughs> <laughs> Got him.
0: <laughs> Kip is such a fabulous character. Yeah, maybe no, he's I'm glad mean, he finds happiness at the end.
1: He's like a paleo four chan guy, you know, who's like funny with quips
2: and memes. He's a troll. He's he is one hundred percent a four chan troll. Yeah, if four chan existed girl. in that world at the time, that's what he would have been spending all that all that time on dial up doings, trolling God. people in like four chan, like three or four hours sometimes in the chat room. You you pay pay for that by by the minute. Your grandma pays for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so well. so uh, oh, one last thing about Napoleon is not only is he socially awkward, but he has no social graces either. Like when he talks to Deb the first time. Uh, I see you're drinking 1%. Is that because you think you're fat? So he, you know, he, he doesn't even, he doesn't have the tools, the skills to be social with
0: people. And so and that's, that's why, and I think, I think everybody can identify with that. I don't know if anybody here has ever felt awkward talking to somebody in an awkward social situation, but I know I have.
1: Yeah. I feel awkward every time we do a show, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All the time.
1: Part of the um, charm. So, uh, Robert, do you have any final notes before we, uh, move into final sermon review and a
0: scoring round? Well, Dan, I, I, really I mean, we could have talked about the, uh, the large talents and Napoleon getting a job. And I don't know if the, his wages negotiated beforehand, but he was certainly upset about it afterwards, which is, makes him a very strange, terrible entrepreneur. But I, it's one of those mistakes you make when you're a kid. But yeah, uh, I remember working for uh, harvesting, a harvesting uh, operation outfit when I was younger than Napoleon was in this film. Yeah. We didn't make very much. We didn't quite make a dollar an hour. We made a little bit more than that, but I think it was like three 75 an hour picking spinach spinach fields, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's backbreaking labor in the hot sun for $3 and 75 cents an hour. I, it would kill me today to try and do that now.
2: Yeah. That lion ass farmer, he's completely a sweatshop owner. I mean, he didn't even attempt to, you know, when, when you look back, he's like, can't find my checkbook hope you don't mind if I pay you in cash. Like he didn't even try. He knows damn well. He doesn't have a checkbook on him anywhere. He was not at any point intending to pay these young men a fair wage by check. He was going to give them coins that <laughs> they wouldn't even count and give them like a weird ass, you know, raw egg drink. Um, and part of his compensation. Like, yeah, it's, he's very much, um, uh, it's a good point. That was not, that was not a fair wage. Uh, there was definitely some exploitation. Wow, wow. No, plus
0: those sweet sandwiches. What are you talking With about? With the flies on them?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think that Napoleon just didn't realize what he was signing up for. I don't think there was exploitation per se. I think the farmer was was fine. He he didn't have his checkbook on him, maybe out of convenience, or maybe just because it was funnier to pay them in change. And then Napoleon counts it later and realizes it's like a dollar an hour because he only made six dollars. But uh, we also do see a glimpse of of that tracking shot when they're going through the the chicken factory. There, I mean, that is like a factory farm style, you know, chicken operation. They're living in very small cages and they're pooping down this chute right in the middle, and then they're um, uh, laying their eggs to be uh, harvested. And that's kind of how they were living. And and his job was to help move what was it, eight thousand chickens into new cages Um, for whatever reason they would do that. But it it gives me I don't know, some more satisfaction in getting chickens myself because now I'm not going to be buying eggs that uh, are coming from a place like that. Um, But that's like an aesthetic thing, you know, like I think that they're animals and they're for a purpose of being utilized. And uh, I don't agree with torturing animals or having them live in terrible conditions. So I won't support that monetarily, but I don't think it's a crime per se. He's not going out of his way to like sadistically harm them. Um, You know, it's just the most efficient way to get as many low quality eggs as possible.
0: Well, it, it, when you say that, it reminds me that my parents actually back in like the early 80s, maybe the early 70s, mid, mid 70s, as a way to support the family, there was that chicken farm across the highway, Daniel. I don't know if you know this or not. On the, across from I-5, there was one of these chicken farms that is very similar to the one in Napoleon Dynamite, except oh, yeah, you see all the houses? There are the the long buildings, right? Yeah, one buildings. Yep, yep, yep. yeah, It doesn't exist anymore. It's still there, but it's not operational. But they worked there doing the same job Napoleon did, just grabbing chickens and grabbing them by the legs and then moving them from cage to cage. But from the way my father describes it, when he dropped one, if you ever dropped one, They would fall into this muck that it's basically like world war one. If you fall into the mud, you're dead. You can't get out. You don't want to pull the chicken out because it is just gone. The chicken is gone. And that's just all there is to it. So he describes a very uh, horrific uh, summer doing that. So I don't uh, envy Napoleon or my father for doing that, that terrible, terrible job, but um, I don't, I don't see it as an evil thing, but uh, definitely uh, distasteful.
2: It's almost like how John heater himself got paid a thousand bucks. And then the film like profits like $42 million. He's like, it's like a dollar an hour. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, pretty close to it.
1: Well, uh, Robert, it sure would be nice if you could pull me into final summary and review time. Oh, <laughs> would it
0: be nice? Okay, so Napoleon Dynamite, uh, classic comedy from 2004. I think how you're going to rate this is going to be on how well it still hits you 16 years later. And for me, it still hit me just as strong. I don't know if it's just as strong as the first time you saw it, but this is a comedy you can come back to over and over again because the comedy, it's true to its world and to itself. Nothing happens in the film that pulls you out of it. It's all true to the characters. And uh, I would say, like we said throughout the show, um, you kind of have to find the plot in the film, which is kind of true in a lot of comedies. But I, I, would, I would watch this film over and over again. Uh, I wouldn't want to watch it day by day but I could come back to it every couple of years and still enjoy the heck out of it. It's uh, well acted, except for the boyfriend. The asshole boyfriend is one of the worst actors I've ever seen. It's a, this weird forced asshole jock thing, which you think most men could channel, but this guy couldn't do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still good. I'm glad Heater went on to do uh, more good things and the writer-director duo went on to do more good things. Uh, you can definitely tell that their careers were launched in this film. Um, I don't know if they've ever topped it, though maybe they're going to spend their whole careers trying to top this thing that is just so good some sort of lightning in a bottle that was captured
2: nacho for forty
0: thousand dollars nacho libre is not as good as this film daniel don't even compare the two i
2: couldn't even finish watching nacho libre.
0: it's just not doesn't have the charm doesn't have the charm or the humor i'm sorry but i'm not sorry this this movie is a strong eight for me highly recommended if you haven't seen it check it out
1: All right. Very good. Thank you for that, Robert. And speaking of Jack Black, the reason Jack Black was in Nacho Libre was because they had been in contact with him about being the Diedrich Bader character. He was going to be Rex in uh, this movie, but then Bader ended up getting the role. So they had Jack uh, be in uh, Nacho Libre. (laughs)
0: All
1: right, Miguel, let's go to you. So Robert gave it, uh, what did you get, an eight or an eight and a half? An ocho, senor. Robert gave it the ocho. Miguel, your your, uh, score summary review, please. Yeah. And the long side first is perfect.
2: <laughs> I mean, this film, to me, I think if you look at the film and its legacy, uh, the film itself, I think when I first saw it, you now I, when I first saw it, I was, it was 2004, so I was approximately 14 years old. I was like the perfect age for, I was the target. I, I would say I was the target viewer of this film. It was popular with people of all ages. Yet, I remember that in seventh grade, I think it was, when this movie came out, uh then i was in 7th grade like we were head over heels about this movie and i'd never seen a movie like this and i think a lot of people had never seen a movie like this and i think that it really ushered in almost like a renaissance if you will of this this quirky cringe awkward comedy style of of movies i mean not just not, not just nacho libre i think a lot of other comedy film and tv uh, really it, it, it inspired a lot more of this same vein of, of cringe comedy With or the, indie,
0: indie tinge the office it. or things like that. Reno 911.
2: I think I would, I would venture to say that it had at least some influence on things such as the office. And, and then again, I mean, you know, the office was inspired by the, the UK, at least the U S version was inspired by the UK version. I don't know that the UK version of the office was inspired by Napoleon Dynamite yet. Napoleon Dynamite came in just at the perfect time to ride this wave of this new trend in comedy. And uh, I think that that's significant. I think that the film is a very accomplished film. I think that it will be, it will go on to be seen as as a film that is fairly timeless. And that uh, I think that people uh, well into the future could probably watch it and and enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, So I would also, I'm not going to go and overrate it by the same token, all that being said, I'm not going to go and say it's a 10 by any means. I don't think I even want to give it a nine necessarily, though I do want to give it a solid somewhere in the eight range for some reason, 8.4 is, is what I'm just, you know, when I, I when I my it, ratings on the spot too. So <laughs> I think it. to Napoleon, what he said about just follow your heart. That's what I always do. So I'm following my heart. I'm giving it an 8.4. All right. Well, thank you for
1: that. And uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorite movies and it, it still hits me. Um, It's one of those kind of things that, you know, sometimes when you'll hear a song and you'll like the song and you won't really know all of the lyrics, but you'll still like the song. I feel like some movies are like that for me. And that's kind of a terrible admission for a movie critic person like myself, though I was more like that, not paying that much attention to the plot or anything for certain movies way back in the day. And this is one of those movies where the characters were engaging enough and interesting enough and the quoted the quotable lines and the scenes are funny enough to where. It's just a succession of those scenes and that's enough for me to enjoy the movie. So it wasn't until I watched this a couple of nights ago when I finally put together what the actual story arc is and what wh- where my thesis kind of came from was in following what the character arcs were and what their uh, motivations might've been and and their actions or lack of action to try to achieve those or their willingness to give up uh, despite saying otherwise um, to where I actually saw what, uh, what the arcs really were. And so that's kind of what, brought, uh, brought up my ideas all together, kind of coalesced it. But, uh, I still find that this movie is very enjoyable. And in fact, I have a newfound appreciation for it because all of the scenes set up the next scene or the next, um, uh, fragment of that person's character arc. And I, I think if you guys were to watch this again, you'd kind of see that like the Rex thing is what, um, brings up the idea of Napoleon needing to have friends. And so then he reaches out and has friends as a result and moves on from there. And Rico, we get a, a couple of moments where he's trying to achieve something and then, uh, later on that, uh, begets something else. So this is, uh, is actually a really well done film. It's very, very quirky, very quotable. Like I said, the characters are very, very memorable. And, uh, for all being like so awkward and weird, they are also very, very unique, uh, which I think must've been kind of a challenge, you know, to come up with this many unique yet crazily quirky characters. Um, and it still is one of my favorites. It's, it's a go-to, um, one of my buddies, uh, Joe, I I told him that we were doing this movie. I I still send him quotes from this and he just laughs. Um, He also really enjoys Big Lebowski. So that's another one that just has great um, characters and great uh, memories and uh, funny scenes and quotable stuff. Uh, So this fits right in there. And I I think you guys are right. This is going to stand the test of time. Um, It's hard to date this movie because, I mean, it could be any time in the 80s, 90s or 2000s because Napoleon is so awkward that Moon Boots, though popular in the 80s, you could envision him wearing it in the 90s or the 2000s, you know? So, I mean, it, it could fit in any of those any of those periods. And I think it does a very fine job. So I'm going to go with a nine on this. This is, uh, this is up there for me. And in sharp contrast to uh, Kick-Ass, which I think was attempting for the same audience. And I gave that a very, very low score. But uh, that one just was a miss for me. And this one was um, a very good, very good film. So Miguel, thank you. I've been wanting to do this one for quite a while. And I'm glad that we finally got to it. I really thought we'd get more into the economics. And that was before I watched it again and kind of saw this arc that I wanted to bring up. And uh, unfortunately that uh, dominated the conversation, but I think uh, it was still a good, uh, good episode. So thank you for indulging me in my fantasies and my wildest dreams have come true and being able to run my mouth about them for a little while with you guys. Yes. My pleasure, Daniel. And thank you, Miguel. All right. Well, uh, Miguel, you've been a, a great guest. You were also on for Social Network. And then this one, uh, we'll have links to your Amagi entrepreneurs and your previous appearance on our show notes page, lastnatch.com, such 122. I'm hoping that you can stick around for our Patreon bonus content called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which will be coming up right after we end up here. Um, and then, Robert, next week, we're going to be doing a Mother's Day inspired episode with the great Rachel Kennerly of Cannabis Heals Me, as we talk about Marky Mark and the Funky Bunches Instant Family.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you sent me that link the other day, and it looks like it's got a lot of content. So a, yeah, a couple be- that get, get some bunch of kids thrown on them, so some surprise parenthood, all kinds of hijinks and drama. Sounds good.
1: Yeah, she'd have plenty of conversation, and uh, she also has uh, experience in the adoption um, realm, and so she'll be able to speak to that from personal experience, if you know what I mean. And uh, so I think that'll be a really interesting conversation. Also, um, just to throw this out there for everyone, we're probably going to be doing a crossover episode with her. So we're going to do Instant Family on our show. And then we're going to make an appearance on her show talking about the marijuana-themed movie The Gentleman with uh, Matthew McConaughey. So it's going to be kind of a twofer coming up in the next couple of weeks here. So keep on the lookout for that. And um, uh, I guess uh, we'll see you guys all next week after we uh, bruise our neck meat and rip some moles off um, in Kathleen Turner Overdrive right after... (laughs) these messages um oh you know what robert i, I forgot to mention how can people
0: support us geez how
1: could i forget that
0: oh the same way they always can daniel it hasn't changed you can still go to trapster and buy all kinds of different merch it's not just t-shirts it's stickers it's uh printed stuff on things if you can be as precise as that i don't know if it's possible but you can also give us a review on the 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 apple the tunes the tunes of the apples you can, you can uh, subscribe to us on the YouTubes. You can give us a like. You can give a thumbs up. You can uh, tell your friends, family, loved ones, talk about this uh, fantastic show that, uh, you know, isn't even though we bill ourselves as this Rothbardian, an anarcho-capitalist show, I think we're more of just like a movie review show and we kind of cram into libertarian talk here and there. But I don't I don't know how hardcore libertarian themed we are lately. I think we started out super hardcore, but I think we've kind of morphed more into like a movie review show. Can you imagine it? I don't know. It's weird well
1: i hope people like it i mean a few people uh, tell me they do we got some listeners we got some patreon supporters and you can be the next patreon supporter so come on down to last slash patreon and uh miguel thanks again for being our guest we'd love to have you back just let me know uh what tickles your fancy and uh we'll get it on the calendar and with that we'll say good night from last night everyone All right, we're going to continue the transmission for just a few more minutes while uh, Tina, the fat lard, eats the food. Uh, And I'm going to pose the question out here, Robert. This is related to do the chickens have large talons. Yes. Uh, So as you are aware, and Miguel, as you are about to be aware, um, I got some chickens as a result of the um, breakdown in the food supply and supply chain. Uh, I thought I would be a little bit more self-reliant. So we got some chickens and we got 10 and uh, the other day, I made a mistake, and now we have nine. Now we a steak or a mistake? I made a mistake, not a chicken steak. I made a mistake. I made an error. In you can judgment. make a chicken fried steak, by the way. So, <laughs> I yeah, made an go. error in judgment, and and here's the question: um, What I, I hope the kids aren't awake right now. But what actually happened was that I was trying to get the chickens to go up into their um, the enclosed portion of their coop for the night because they weren't yet familiar with it. It was still new to them. So they were all still outside on the ground floor of the uh, coop. And the dog was out there with me. And she was, like, very excited about them and moving them around, like herding them, you know, like like a healer will do. They'll herd an animal. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I'll use that. Uh, Her corralling them, and then I'll go in there and I'll move a few of them up into the upper portion and thus show them where uh, they should reside in the evenings, because it's going to be warm in the upper portion of the thing. There's a little heater in there and all this and it gets cold at night. The mistake that I made was going in there and not blocking the door like a goalie quite good enough. So a puck got by me and then the dog got the puck and the puck didn't survive. So here's the question to you, Robert. I told the girls that it was dad's mistake and one of the chickens didn't make it through the night. So is that a vague truth? And is that all they need to know? Or is it a live omission? Because I didn't tell them the details and if I did tell them the details, my fear is that they would be angry at the dog and not at me because it's not the dog's fault. It's in the dog's nature to do that. And I made the mistake that had the dog and the chickens in the same sector uh, to where this could
0: occur. What's your take? Well, how how good of a lawyer are are your daughters at this point? Are they asking questions like follow up questions or are they just taking your hey, I made a mistake and leave it at this vague kind of statement by their father. They're not gonna ask for details. Oh, you know, that's an interesting point. Uh, Let's cram in some
1: libertarianism in here, at least some Austrian economics, Uh, a marginal utility scale. Apparently, because we had 10, and nine from 10 is almost indistinguishable when you're looking at the uh, coop, uh, there's still a mass of chickens running around. The loss of one chicken, apparently not so big of a deal. They were surprisingly okay with it.
0: Now, is this a chicken that had a name yet?
1: They all have names, but they weren't. um, They haven't been around long enough to really like get the personalities and the you know the whole thing going on. They were the chicken
0: was six weeks old. Mm, Okay, and you've had them for two or three. We've had them.
1: uh, We've had them for six weeks, and I think we got them like they were probably just a few days old. You get them when they're very very
0: little. Okay, so you're wanting to know. I I think you did a good thing. Well, first of all, let's see here. I think my initial impression is that you did a good thing to leave the the anger and the hatred on you where it rightfully belongs and not on the dog who is essentially just following it. Um, I can't really see any kind of improper action on you. Uh, Miguel, do you have a hot take here? Do you want to jump in?
2: Am I exploiting them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't say I have a hot, I, this sounds like a perfectly reasonable uh, way to have handled this situation. And uh, maybe if it, maybe if the, the, maybe if your daughter's had a lot of emotional stake in, in this chicken dying, then you would have had a duty to be honest with them about how it played out. Yet if they're kind of carefree about it, like, yeah, yeah. You know, we had 10. Now we have nine. It's no big deal. They already knew that these 10 chickens would not be living forever uh, that part of their purpose is as I don't know. Are you, are you, are you just eating the, the, the eggs or are you also at some point eating these chickens?
1: Uh, the intention is just for the eggs and then, and then there'll be pets throughout their, uh, the rest of their, their lives. I don't intend to shorten their lives uh, any further than I already have.
0: Um, now, I, sh- if if your daughters do come up with some follow-up questions, are you prepared to tell them the whole truth, nothing but the truth? So help you, God.
1: Well, since it's not a court of law, I think that I've, I, I felt a little bit of I'm not telling them everything, but I'm kind of okay not telling them everything. So in a way, it is sort of a lie of omission, but it is what they need to know and the amount of information that they need and I don't want them to misplace their anger at the dog, who is really an innocent party in this, even though she's the one who actually did the, uh, you know, the murder.
0: Right. But would you tell the whole truth if they were to ask for it?
1: Um, I suppose. But because otherwise know. you
0: got to concoct some weird lie, right?
1: Well, I, I, I told him again today, like, hey, guys, I'm really sorry I made a mistake. I, I, I could have taken better care of that chicken. That chicken trusted me.
0: <laughs> I let it down
1: all right Well, that's probably enough of this so it's my that's my weird question and yes the chicken did have large talons and now it's yeah. uh
0: now it's a dead chicken did you get paid oh, like a dollar an hour to do it
1: oh <laughs> well, you know speaking of the economics of, of having chickens um i don't know how many they're gonna lay uh in their useful life but if you assume that it's like a thousand eggs you know like three years of production um it's like a dollar an egg to to buy all this stuff and have uh all the feed and everything so it's actually rather expensive but you can buy organic eggs from, from other people for like $5 a dozen division of so labor wins again. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, you know, at some point in the, like three years out, you actually do get over to that crossover point of where it's actually like a positive return. However, I'm not necessarily looking for the, um, monetary gains from it. I'm looking for the, I can have eggs a year from now when other people might not be able to, if this shutdown continues much longer and really breaks down, uh, society. So that was that was the angle I was going for, was moving the availability
0: of eggs into a longer time horizon than just grocery store trips. Security is valuable. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Miguel. It's been an excellent show. Come on back another time. And we'll uh, see you again next week, everybody. All right. Well, thank you guys. We'll see you on
1: Instant Family next week. You can find the show notes and more at extrahandicade.com slash 179. And uh, Miguel, we'd love to have you back. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have uh, Maggi Entrepreneurs down on the uh, show notes page as well. And uh, if you can stick around for a little bit longer, we'll do some bonus content for people uh, right after our closing messages. Maximum freedom, everyone. Peace out.